to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. My name is Anand Upadhyay, and thanks for joining us. This is a podcast about rapid change in the legal industry. We'll focus on legal technology, knowledge management, law libraries, automation, and the business of law. Nine out of 10 law students go to law school because they want to help people. If somebody does pro bono for the first time, they're more likely to be kind of a repeat, a lifetime pro bono person. That's the voice of Felicity Conrad, founder and CEO of Paladin, a company whose mission is to help law firms, companies, and law schools better manage their pro bono efforts so they can focus on legal work for people in need. I had the chance to sit down and chat with Felicity at Paladin's office in New York a few weeks ago. In that conversation, we talked about her experience founding a very unique legal technology company, her passion for pro bono, and how technology with a simple interface can solve some of the biggest problems in the legal industry. By confronting an area that has remained unchanged for dozens of years, Paladin is a company that can create real change in the industry, benefiting potentially thousands of pro bono clients. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Felicity, thank you for joining me on Case Text, the Modern Lawyer podcast. Uh, happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And also thank you for hosting us in your office <laughs> over here in New York, a beautiful office. Uh, what, what neighborhood of New York is this? We're in Flatiron. In the Flatiron. I really appreciate being hosted at your office in the Flatiron. And I'm really excited to have you on because I think as many of our listeners know, you are the CEO of Paladin, a company doing really amazing things in the pro bono access to justice space. I want to get into that, but the first thing I want to do is just uh, open by uh, asking you to tell us about your background, how you got to this point in your career. Sure. I mean, I think that if you asked me 10 years ago, if I would be sitting here right now doing what I'm doing, the answer would be definitely not. But um, it was kind of through a series of, of happy events. So I'm originally Canadian uh, and my background's more in the human rights work. Uh, I uh, originally moved to New York uh, for an internship at the UN, was working on um, the International Criminal Court and issues related to that. Uh, and it just kind of got me really excited about uh, about law and the power that law can have in affecting really global impact. Uh, from there, I went to NYU here in the city, fantastic school, uh, and then went into the private sector. Like most of my uh, kind of fellow students, uh, and was a litigator at Skadden with an incredible group, the, the arbitration group um, here in the city. Uh, the original idea for Paladin, though, was really born there through my pro bono work. Uh, I took on uh, a couple asylum cases, and one in particular where I... And, and, you know, I take it that when you went to go work in the arbitration group at Skadden, one of the things, maybe as a Skadden litigator that you were most excited about, was the pro bono work that Skadden does. And I know Skadden is uh, known to be fairly generous in pro bono. Was that one reason you picked Skadden, and is that yeah. one thing you're excited about? Absolutely. Um, looking back now, uh, maybe I was a nerd, but I had a, a spreadsheet going through my um, early interview week 
where I had a list of 25 firms and had different columns for things that I cared about. And, and one of them was pro bono. And I, I don't think I was alone in that. Got it. And so you, you went to Skadden, you were doing a lot of pro bono work. And um, how, you know, what, what gave rise to Paladin? Because uh, based on what I understand, you went directly from Skadden to founding your company. Yeah, um, it was really through um, kind of my work, my pro bono work, and just the incredibly rewarding experience that that was for me. And I, I thought I kind of gamed the system because I had a very private sector job at, at a firm uh, like Skadden, litigating really important issues. Uh, and at the same time, I could really do life-changing pro bono work. I thought that was the coolest thing in the universe. Um, and then I kind of got excited. How could every single lawyer in the private sector have this experience? And that's where tech really comes into play. Uh, it can scale tools and experiences. So it's not just me, Felicity, uh, representing one client. I got kind of hooked on the idea of how can I get thousands of lawyers and start to build infrastructure for thousands of lawyers to take on pro bono work. So take a step back. I mean, what pain points did you experience at Skadden with respect to pro bono? Um, did you run up against any barriers or walls there in trying to seek out pro bono? Yeah, I think that I probably had the best experience that exists at, at any firm or organization, um, a really best-in-class pro bono program. Um, but that said, there, there isn't a, an infrastructure around it. There's no place as a lawyer where you can say, oh, where can I see all of the pro bono opportunities available in my organization? Um, and so as a result, lawyers have to be pretty proactive in taking on pro bono work. 70% of lawyers, though, aren't proactive. They take on pro bono because it came across their desk. So I think the big question is, is how do you make pro bono reactive? How do you make sure it goes across the desk of every single lawyer? Because right now they have to call their pro bono coordinator. They have to Google something. They have to call up a legal aid organization, email folks, um, ask any one of their friends if they have legal needs. It's, it's a weirdly um, kind of offline system. And I take it that through a lot of the hours that you have to spend to even track down a case, you get busy and distracted and, and end up not doing it. Definitely. Um, I think that if lawyers, if you can bring the amount of time and energy lawyers have to spend in um, signing up or engaging with a pro bono case to zero, you would see 10x more pro bono happening in the world. And, and that's certainly something that the world needs right now. I think you're, you're basing this on something that I really want to believe, which is that attorneys want to do pro bono. I, that's that's an assumption I have. Do you know that that's true? I mean, it, based on your experiences, is there a, a hunger to do pro bono? Absolutely. Um, I mean, in the last 10, 15 years, you've seen really the development of regulation around pro bono. So reporting of requirements in about half the states, even now in New York, every law student to become a lawyer has to do a mandatory 50 hours. So that's a really interesting kind of uh, the stick component, but but the carrot is very much there too. I, I do think that lawyers want to do pro bono work. Nine out of 10 law students go to law school because they want to help people. And I think it's something that if somebody does pro bono for the first time, they're more likely to be kind of a repeat, a lifetime pro bono person. Um, the rewards from skill building, community building, self-job satisfaction, um, they're absolutely huge. 
I know that a lot of law firms uh, have pro bono programs for a lot of reasons, right? I mean, uh, chief among those is they want to give back and they want to do good, right? It's part of their social imperative. But I think you you uh, landed on another big one, which is they want their attorneys to get exposure to all kinds of different experiences that you you know frankly may not get in a billion dollar case, but you may get in an immigration case or an asylum case involving one person and not a you know giant mega corporation. Yeah. And so I think you know it seems to me that incentivizing pro bono and aligning attorneys with pro bono opportunities, law firms are incentivized to do that. Oh, totally. My my first time in court representing anyone was not in a billable matter. It was in immigration court. And I would not have gotten that sort of hands-on experience in any of my active billable cases. It really made me a better lawyer. So, so take us now through, um, uh, at what point did you decide to start Paladin? And then I'd love to just go into <laughs> what is Paladin? So the thought of how to combine technology with pro bono was something I was thinking about a lot. And we can talk a little bit more about kind of business models and access to justice and creating sustainable impact. But um, I really settled on the idea, and this is a Jeff Bezos kind of tool, I, I called the regret minimization framework. You hear a lot of times that lawyers are risk adverse. And so they they won't jump into something or make a decision until they know exactly what it is that they're doing and the risks associated with it. This framework turns that on its head. It says you should make decisions in life based not on what you know will happen, but based on what you'll regret. And it came to a point where I knew I was passionate enough about um, technology and trying to build this infrastructure around pro bono that I would regret it if I didn't try. So that was the moment I quit my job as an associate and really started to dive into building Paladin. And so you quit your job as an associate <laughs> just cold and went right into building Paladin. I mean, you, you had that much belief in yeah. what you were going to end up, end up building. Yeah. Um, it was also the moment I, I broke even from law school debt. So it was a, a good moment, um, but definitely a bit risky. And so what was this system that you built? And what kind of pain points were you attempting to solve? Yeah, so as I got deeper into it, I realized that the lawyer pain points were not the only ones out there. Um, there are so many incredible legal service organizations across uh, America and globally who spend a huge amount of time managing pro bono volunteers. On the other side, within law firms, Fortune 500 companies, I don't think most people realize they have huge global pro bono programs law schools, bar associations, they have entire staff dedicated to managing pro bono work and no tools to run those programs. So as a lawyer, I felt the symptoms of that, but the cause of that was really a lack of an administrative infrastructure. So as I got into it, I realized that that was really the core component missing. So we set out to build uh, the first pro bono management software servicing corporations um, and now starting to work with some other verticals, which is really exciting. You know, Paladin is one of those companies that's so interesting to me because it, it's one of those companies that I think of as a, how does this not exist already in the <laughs> company, right? Uh, what's your theory on why there was, um, you know, so little investment in the infrastructure piece? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and why is it that Paladin's the first company to do this? Yeah, I think, um, 
Well, a bunch of reasons. Uh, first of all, I think legal tech is just hitting its stride. And we can probably talk more about that. I think that access to justice has reached um, a bit of a critical point in uh, need. Um, and I think that there hasn't really been an outside party focused specifically on pro bono infrastructure um, and building these sort of software solutions with a sustainable business model behind it. So we organized as the first benefit corporation in legal tech. And um, that's really marrying together the nonprofit model is fantastic, but I think has historically has had trouble scaling in the legal space. We also didn't want to be a pure uh, C-Corp because obviously we have a social mission. And our goal is to really bridge the pro bono lawyers at all of these law firms, corporations, et cetera, with folks who need help in their community. Look, I'm so unsophisticated with pro bono that you know I, I handled some pro bono matters when I was still practicing law. But to your point, I didn't really know where they came from. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know the, the from star- storks exactly, flying in. <laughs> exactly. And, and so just uh, walk us through from the, the moment mm-hmm. of need in a community to interaction with Paladin to, I guess, disposition of the matter. How does that workflow look like and how does Paladin operate in that? Essentially right now... Let's take, for instance, DACA. You hear a lot about dreamers in the news. It's 800,000 young people, average age, mid-20s, and often can't afford lawyers. Um, So there's a lot of fantastic legal service organizations working with dreamers. And they, in turn, partner with pro bono attorneys. So one of these pro bono legal service organizations, let's take a a dreamer named Sarah, um, and she'll be intake through that organization. Uh, If her case is appropriate for a pro bono attorney, she'll be referred to one of their pro bono partner organizations. That process is done very offline. So maybe the legal service organization will email one of their legal partners. Maybe they'll have a listserv and they'll send it to a number of law firms. They'll say, hey, there's a need out here. Exactly. Or, Or even a phone call if it's something urgent. And when one of those matters, if it's Sarah, another dreamer, something else, reaches the door of, let's say, a Fortune 500 company. Maybe they have a legal team of 500 to 1,000 corporate lawyers who are really passionate and excited to help. The moment it comes through the door, that's when Paladin currently kicks in. So right now, a pro bono coordinator, they get a matter and they want to staff it. Maybe they'll send an email to the entire legal team. And if somebody's interested, they'll email back. Um, They'll try to manage their work on Excel spreadsheets, uh, have to call up lawyers to see if work's ongoing. Um, It's a really kind of laborious process for them. So instead, what we've built is essentially the first workflow management uh, end-to-end software for pro bono within an organization. So the coordinator will put, and often this is an assistant general counsel, somebody pretty senior within the organization, will put Sarah's case into Paladin, and then it'll be viewable to all of the lawyers at that organization. So the in-house team at uh, some Fortune 500 company. Exactly. And so we have kind of the first place portal where lawyers can browse pro bono opportunities within their organizations, click a button if they're interested in learning more, add it to their calendar, receive automated Uh, reminder emails and status report emails, and really just provide a way for lawyers to seamlessly engage with pro bono at their organization. On the admin side, for the first time, they can actually manage their pro bono program. 
They have tools to manage their team as well as the opportunities available, uh, track participation, outcomes, uh, and really visualize their program. Got it. And, you know, this may be a very uh, unsatisfying answer, but what do they use now? You said Excel spreadsheets yeah. and legal pads? <laughs> a lot of them. I mean, we've seen corporations across 20 offices track their work on a Word document. Many have Excel spreadsheets, but it's a huge amount of work trying to manually keep up to date a spreadsheet across 30 offices and 800 legal staff. So it's been really cool. And the data is inaccurate um, and, and not the granularity that they'd want. So at the end of the year, a lot of organizations spend tens to hundreds of hours putting together their annual pro bono report. That's all done by hand right now instead of just being able to click a button to export your annual, annual report. And so right now uh, you are selling Paladin to, I guess, subscriptions of Paladin to Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, who is putting the, you, you mentioned the, the AGC at, at, at these big companies or someone at that relatively yeah. senior level um, is uh, kind of receiving these pro bono matters and putting them on the system. Uh, they they receive these matters like the you know the the matter of Sarah the the uh, you know in in the the DACA issue and they put them on Paladin and then from that point on it's kind of published across the company and they and then anyone in the company can kind of say hey this is you know I have, I have time I have bandwidth and I can pull this matter and now say this matter of Sarah is a case I'm taking on yeah exactly so lawyers can see pro bono opportunities available in their office, they can filter, they can create profiles. Let's say that um, certain attorneys, I'm interested in housing or I'm interested in environment. Those are tags that I can select for and search for. Um, so really kind of personalized uh, pro bono experience. And, and of course, being able to see things in your office and as an administrator for the first time across offices. At what point uh, do you plan to scale this, or maybe you're in the process of scaling this from companies to law firms? That's a great question. Um, we have some exciting announcements forthcoming on, on that respect. And actually a couple, um, a funding announcement um, and another one in the, the works. So fortunately can't say more, but stay tuned. Got it. Very exciting. Um, if you were to do business with a big <laughs> law firm, which, which you know, I'm, I'm sure at, at your momentum and the, the rate at which Paladin's moving, um, you know, I have no doubt that you will uh, be at, at many law firms. Um, how would that model look? Um, it, you know, would it, would it kind of be the AGC uh, in-house model except with partners and associates? Yeah. I, so law firms have... Um, even more built out and extensive pro bono programs um, often. Uh, within the corporate environment, we're working mostly with mature programs, but also our newest client um, is actually just launching their pro bono program, a tech company. So um, within the law firm environment, it's mostly established pro bono programs, but with that level of complexity comes a huge amount of administrative overhead. So our value to a law firm environment is, is essentially the same. So one, really decreasing their administrative burden and, and costs associated with the program to increasing their uh, engagement of their lawyers and legal team, hopefully inspiring some folks 
Um, and three, around data and reporting. So really capturing uh, both quantitative and qualitative data about their program so they can report on it really easy, easily and also have um, incredible brand stories. The, the work that lawyers do within these organizations is incredibly inspiring. And I think we live in an age of lawyer jokes, and there's no reason for that. Um, lawyers within these organizations change lives on a daily basis. Uh, those are really powerful stories to tell, even from a business and brand perspective. What kind of traction is Paladin getting? And I'm not asking for statistics or numbers, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm sure there's many anecdotes of, um, you know, young attorneys all the way up to, um, you know, the partner level who handled their first pro bono case or their first, uh, you know, specific kind of pro bono case because of Paladin. Yeah. And what, what are some of those takeaways now um, that, that, you know, you have a lot of these experiences under your belt with Paladin, with rolling Paladin out at mm -hmm. large institutions? What are you, what kind of feedback are you getting? Uh, one really recent one, um, which I think was a big win for us, was you hear a lot of the time that, oh, lawyers are too busy to do pro bono work. Um, and we really view pro bono as something that has to start at the top of an organization. So a recent um, testimonial we got was from a, the GC of a Fortune 15 company uh, who said that after they've adopted Paladin, he's actually done more pro bono because it makes it really easy for him. Um, so that's really cool and, and a powerful signal kind of down to the rest of the organization and their legal team um, that pro bono is a priority and it's something that is part of their values as a, as a company. How do you think Paladin, um, uh, you know, how does it place with the greater access to justice movement that we're seeing? It seems like access to justice, in addition to a lot of different kind of planks of legal technology, mm -hmm. is considered one of the, the biggest kind of holy grails of, um, of legal technology. How does Paladin fit into that? And is, is Paladin and other tools that make it easy to do good work, to do pro bono work, um, is that the ticket? Uh, what other kind of innovations do you think could attach to access to justice also? Well, there is so much technology that needs to be built in, in the access to justice arena. It's interesting, my, my co-founder, Kristen, recently gave a talk on the paradox that we see emerging. Uh, there is more legal technology than ever before, but access to justice is actually getting worse. Um, right now in America, 86% of low-income Americans never get the legal help they need. Um, we are in the midst of a lot of issues around immigration, uh, certainly housing crisis in New York and other places, uh, just a huge number of, of issues and things that low-income folks simply aren't able to access a lawyer for. You know, a statistic that you mentioned yesterday, which was the average billable rate of an attorney across the U.S. was something like $232 yeah. an hour. and. In my mind, even an upper middle class family yeah. that is doing well just simply can't afford dozens and dozens of hours yeah. at $232 an hour. It's not, I mean, not even close. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely out of reach. One of the answers to, to kind of the riddle, the paradox of why isn't it getting better is I think folks are really starting to focus on access to justice and talk about access to justice. 
But statistically, we don't see as many access to justice companies emerge. Less than 10% of legal tech companies are focused on access to justice directly. Um, and in terms of sustainable models, it's been really difficult um, to build tech um, that is will have longevity around it, um, sustainability and scalability. So that's very much why we intentionally incorporated as a benefit corporation and attached uh, a SaaS business model to Paladin uh, was really to try and ensure our long-term scalability. Um, there's a number of organizations taking really cool approaches. So there are nonprofits. Uh, a cool one in the city is Just Fix, focused on housing. Uh, another benefit corporation uh, working with bar associations is called Community Lawyer. Uh, there's a really cool uh, kind of access to justice incubator from Robin Hood Foundation called Blue Ridge Labs. And they've been getting some cool press recently. But I think we're just starting to see the verge of access to justice companies. And we need more smart people trying to, to kind of put models behind them that will really affect uh, the change that frankly needs to happen. I want to go through the kind of flow of, let's say an Amalaw 50 law firm here in New York um, reaches out to Paladin and says, you know, we want to do business with, with Paladin. Uh, how does that look? How does the deployment look? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and how quickly is it up and ready uh, for this firm to, to start, uh, you know, actually getting their associates on and using Paladin? Yeah. Um We've tried to make it as seamless as possible. I know um, a lot of firms are worried about various integrations and there's huge data security and privacy issues. And so that's something that we've luckily been able to not have too many issues with. So we're essentially a cloud-based software solution. Um, onboarding can take as little as a day. It can be done self-serve by the organization. We uh, have single sign-on uh, to kind of reduce the barriers to entry for, for lawyer users. And essentially, the entire legal team is on the Paladin system. Uh, we don't generally collect significant PII, um, so just names, uh, email addresses, a few characteristics of um, the legal team. And PII is just personally identifiable information? Is yes. That okay? But really, it's a kind of self-serve tool. And... Um, yeah, we've seen organizations kind of get up and running really quickly. And, and that was actually one of our KPIs for, for our last uh, quarter was, was to really remove the onboarding barrier. So it, it's sleek and streamlined. Um, and the whole point is stop doing all of the extra stuff so you can start doing pro bono. Is there a link between the organizations kind of on the ground, you know, who Sarah is going to, right, in this mm -hmm. DACA uh, hypothetical case? Does does Paladin work with those organizations as well to make to make it so that there is some kind of clear pipeline from the Sarahs of this world who need help to the kind of local legal aid to the law firms? How does that uh, yeah. structure kind of work? So right now we're a standalone software within client organizations, corporations. Um, but but that is the, the grand vision. That's the dream and something that um, we're working towards. And I think the, the industry as a whole is working towards. There's so much work being duplicated or triplicated, if that's a word, um, 
across all of these fantastic organizations that don't have capacity to do that. Um, so we're we're kind of working in the in nascent phases of of some of those kind of network building components and whether it's integrating with the legal service case management softwares, partnering with bar associations. Um, we may or may not have an exciting announcement about that coming up too. Sorry to to be a pain. Lots of lots of exciting announcements. <laughs> no, very exciting. Um, where do you see Paladin being in five years? Uh, what kind of footprint on the access to justice um, landscape, and uh, you know, kind of what's what's next for Paladin, and then what's after that? Oh, no small question. Access to justice tech is is only hitting its stride, and as a result, there's a huge number of white spaces, um, kind of pro bono infrastructure being one of them. So, in five years, I think we can really help provide infrastructure for how pro bono is run globally. Um, a really interesting long-term vertical for us is um, not just kind of private sector organizations, but governments. And pro bono isn't just a U.S. phenomena. It's something that um, certainly the Commonwealth countries have very strongly committed to, maybe even more so than in the U.S. Asia is building out their infrastructure uh, very aggressively. Europe is is really looking at it too. I think it's something that can can connect lawyers of the world, not to be too cheesy. There's just huge amount of value and even network effects that come with being able to to define the industry or the infrastructure for the industry. I want to make sure we don't leave one thing out, and that is the, the role that millennial lawyers play in the work that you're doing in the access to justice community. I mean, you hear a lot about millennials and, and as well as the changing landscape of the legal field. I think law firms are having to think pretty carefully about what the future looks like. How do they retain and attract top talent? Um, now, 71% of millennials make job decisions based on whether their employer is committed to corporate social responsibility. It's no longer altruistic to do things like pro bono. I think it's uh, a responsibility, a, a kind of a part of doing business. It's not just kind of Tom's and Warby Parker's. Every corporation really needs to put their money where their mouth is uh, to attract talent going forward. And I think that's only going to get more important. Uh, I take it that for a lot of firms, when they are competing for the top talent in the U.S., they want to project a brand of, you know, awareness of a lot of the social justice issues that mm -hmm. are really at a, you know, kind of fever pitch in the world right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's worth noting that even though I think it's exactly that hit a fever pitch right now, going back five years, a lot of the same-sex marriage cases in the U.S. were actually done by pro bono counsel. It, it very large law firms. It's something that um, you can really make a mark and a name for yourself as a firm and, and have some really high impact and maybe among the highest impact or newsworthy cases that are done pro bono. So um, I think it's been kind of a, a developing tool for firms, but something that, that will absolutely continue as, as kind of the CSR trends meet the millennial trends meets uh, the adoption of technology, uh, it really is, I think, a, a perfect storm for um, 
hopefully really wonderful things to happen. From your standpoint as the CEO of an access to justice pro bono company, where, where is this all going and what is the most encouraging thing for you in your, in your vantage point? I think now there's critical mass of legal tech companies that have emerged and, and reached uh, a level of maturity that uh, will help drive adoption within firms and companies. That's, I think, been a huge barrier to the development of legal tech and even the legal system at large is um, kind of some of the barriers to adoption. So it's really exciting to see kind of the fear around adopting tools diminish a little bit as as actors have been in the space for a long time and have proven themselves and, and kind of built that trust. So that's a really exciting thing. Uh, adoption is the key to any of this going anywhere. Um, the second I would say is more folks from uh, a variety of backgrounds coming into the legal tech space. My, my co-founder Kristen recently did a study of diversity in legal tech and the numbers aren't quite what uh, one would hope they they would be, and, and hopefully for the future they'll improve and increase. Um, but I think as you have more folks from different backgrounds, uh, both women, minorities, immigrants, and folks internationally building solutions in their countries, um, I think that it'll become a much more vibrant uh, and hopefully useful industry. You hit the nail on the head with respect to you know, law firm tech engagement and adoption, it is, uh, it is an uphill battle. And I think uh, every legal tech company that has sold into big law firms knows that that's just the start, right? Uh, then you have to get attorneys who are very used to certain habits and certain pathways using your product. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as clunky as Excel spreadsheets or Microsoft Word documents emailed across a lot of offices may be, it's the way things were done. And if you're kind of uh, raised in the way things were done, even if Paladin is better and more efficient, it may take a while to uh, adopt it. What does Paladin do to spur adoption, spur engagement, um, and and use of the tool? Um, Well, the first thing is I think we've been really lucky to not be treated by our clients as a vendor, but rather be treated more as a partner. and, and this may be something that Case Text experiences, but even though we're we're relatively young as a company, I, I do think we have a strong brand that companies want to associate themselves with. And so we're not just a tool; we're a commitment to community, to innovation. Um, so we've actually been able to get um, some pretty great FaceTime with with the ultimate users of Paladin and, and be able to build that relationship and credibility to show that that we're human beings and. Um, and to tell our story a little bit. So that's the first thing. And um, I think that's great for, for any legal tech companies is you don't want to just be reduced to ones and zeros. Um, the second is that, um, and this may just be the infrastructure, the, the structure of way how Paladin is built, but every single lawyer at our organizations have a Paladin account. They get emails from Paladin, regular opportunities. And so it's something that, they don't have to be proactive. They don't have to remember that they're partnered with Paladin. Um, we, we certainly wouldn't expect that, but it's something that it really comes to them and, and that they can engage with it 
if and when it feels right. Um, and so that's been, I think, really useful for us. And engagement's actually been higher than we uh, anticipated, which um, is really exciting because that means that more lawyers are doing pro bono work. Felicity, I want to thank you for joining me on this. We are very excited to hear what's coming up next for Paladin <laughs> and some of those big announcements. Sorry to be that, so cryptic. <laughs> that you alluded to. So uh, thank you very much for joining us on The Modern Lawyer. Thank you for having me. If you want to learn more, visit joinpaladin.com and take a look. If you know someone seeking pro bono legal assistance, visit www.findlegalhelp.org or www.lawhelp.org for more information. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at casetext.com. Tweet at us with the hashtag Modern Lawyer and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon. Hold up. 